Coming up on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival, we catch up with the Kangaroos' Jessica Trend, the GWS Giants' Beck Beeson, and Coach Kiwi is back with a kiss of death. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival via the RSN Racing and Sport app and rsn.net.au. This program is also available as a podcast by going to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts or SoundCloud and searching for Women's Australian Rules Football Radio. Wow, what an episode we've got today. Jessica Trent, 21 months on the sideline with an ACL injury. Played in an Essendon side whose inaugural year in the VFLW, well, was a struggler. They only won the one game. However, now she's on the North Melbourne Tasmanian Kangaroos AFLW list and four wins already under her belt. That interview coming up soon. Plus, Beck Beeson, premierships, premierships, premierships with a Stingrays and Hawthorne. And Coach Kiwi's back with her famous segment, The Kiss of Death, last week, three out of five. Can she improve on that record? But first, here's the latest AFLW and women's footy news. Let's begin first with the good news and the NAB AFLW rising stars for this week. Round four, Danielle Ponta of the Adelaide Crows picking up a nomination in their win over Frio on the weekend. And Sarah Dargan for her performance for Collingwood in their loss to GWS at Morwell. Towards the tribunal, and we see a few players have been rubbed out. No challenges this week. As to O'Connor's accepted a two-week suspension for striking, while fellow tall Matty Boyd is taking a one-week ban for rough conduct. Carlton's Sarah Hosking has accepted a $400 fine uh, for forceful front-on contact against Cat Jordan Ivy. Brisbane's Jordan Zanchetta has accepted a reprimand after engaging in rough conduct against the Bulldogs' Kimberley Rennie. Adelaide's Dana Cox has been charged with engaging in rough conduct against Dr. Ashley Atkins. She's accepted a reprimand. And Shani Layton has accepted a reprimand for striking giant Louise Stevenson, while Melbourne's Tegan Cunningham was charged with striking Rue Jessica Duffin. She has also accepted a reprimand. And that wraps up all the things from the Tribunal for this week as we have a look ahead to the broadcast guide for Round 5 action. We begin with the Brisbane Lions hosting Geelong, 3.45pm local time, 4.45pm Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time. That match live everywhere on 7 Mate and also on Fox Footy. Carlton versus Collingwood, 7.10pm Eastern Daylight Savings Time. Live everywhere on 7 Mate and also on Fox Footy. Uh, Sunday, 3rd of March, GWS versus Melbourne, 2.05pm Eastern Daylight Savings Time. Shown in Sydney on Channel 7 and elsewhere around the country on Fox Footy. North Melbourne, Tasmanian Kangaroos versus Adelaide being played at Werribee. That game at 4.05pm Eastern Daylight Savings Time. Shown in Adelaide on Channel 7 and elsewhere around the country on Fox Footy. And Fremantle versus the Western Bulldogs, 3.05pm local time, 6.05pm Eastern Daylight Savings Time. That match showed in Perth live on 7 and elsewhere around the country on Fox Footy. Going across to the Sandfall W, 
ACU, round two played over the weekend. North Adelaide 6-6-42, defeating Sturt 5-5-35. Central District 3-2-20, going down to the Glenelg Tigers 5-7-37. West Adelaide 7-3-45, defeating the Woodville West Torrens Eagles 6-6-42. We know that Sarah Perkins played in that game for the Eagles, kicking three goals. And Norwood 5-3-33, defeated the reigning premiers, the South Adelaide Panthers 3-3-21. Looking ahead to round three action, Friday 6.30pm local time at City Manchester Stadium, Glenelg versus North Adelaide. At Cooper Stadium Friday night 6.30pm it's Central District versus the Eagles. City Manchester Stadium Friday night 8.25pm West Adelaide versus the reigning premiers, the South Adelaide Panthers. And at Cooper Stadium Friday night at 8.25pm it's Norwood versus Sturt. And finally, overseas, where the Haggis Cup is being played in Scotland. It's on this Saturday, the 2nd of March. Over the last couple of years, it's been in Glasgow. This year, it's being hosted in Edinburgh. Now, it's going to feature the four Scottish-Australian Rules Football League women's sides. That's the Glasgow Sharks, the Greater Glasgow Giants, which Lothian Eagles and Edinburgh Bloods. And also taking part, two teams from the AFL London Women's League, being the Wimbledon Hawks and the Wandsworth Demons. That's the Haggis Cup this Saturday, 2nd of March in Edinburgh, Scotland. Our first guest for this week originally played her senior women's football with the Eastern Devils Football Club. In the 2016 VFLW season, she was having a breakout year and seemed destined to be picked up in the inaugural AFLW draft. Then, round 16, the third last round of the season. It was the Devils versus Melbourne University at Mulgrave Reserve. She was having a terrific start to the match, tagging future Western Bulldogs co-captain Ali Blackburn. Then, a set of bounce after a goal early in the second term, and this happened. Good to see Blackburn getting into the game, because in the first quarter, Trend had her well and truly covered. Yep, Trend and Lambert have been great for the Devils so far, and... Speaking of which, both of them on, although Trin's holding her shin in a bit of pain. Not even be her knee. Lambert's going to get the free kick on top of the muddy stuff here at Mulgrave Reserve. Trend in a lot of trouble in the middle at the moment. Scans would later reveal that she had done her ACL. She would miss out on playing in the inaugural AFLW season. She would sit out the 2017 VFLW season. Be looked over in the second AFLW draft and then recommence her football career in 2018 with Essendon in the VFL women's competition. It was a tough season. The Bombers would win only one game, struggle to score more than five goals in a match, and she would possibly wonder if this was it. She would only play VFLW football. Then, in late August of 2018, a call would come, and in a few days later, pen to paper, and she'd be a North Melbourne Tasmanian kangaroo. Four games in now to her AFLW career, it's great to have back on the line, Jessica Trend. Jess, how are you? I'm really good, thank you. How are you? Not too bad at all. I want to flash back 18 months to when we last chatted to you. We're talking about September 2017. Uh, At that stage, you hadn't played footy in, say, about 15, 16 months because of when you'd done your knee in the game of the Eastern Devils versus the Muggers. And you're heading into that draft. What were your hopes and expectations at that stage, knowing that you weren't able to, I guess, prove yourself as a footballer because you were trying to rest your body? 
Yeah, look, it was more just a moment where I didn't want to walk away with regret. So I knew that it was very um, unlikely that I was going to get drafted, but I didn't want to be sitting there um, a couple of months after and watching the AFL season and just sitting there with regret. So it was kind of a trial, let's see what happens. Um, and I guess I got some positives out of it because I got to interview with some clubs and get some good feedback and also kind of make a good game plan for the future. But um, I always have hopes when you put your name down for something. And I, of course, I had hopes and I wanted to get drafted. But um, in hindsight, I look back now and I think it was a blessing that I actually didn't get um, drafted because I don't think my body was actually uh, ready. Was there a little bit of sadness at that time as well? Because you'd played for such a, a long time at the East End Devils, back to the days that were known as East Burwood, and you were unable to be out there for the final year and, in particular, that final ever game they had, had at state league level. Oh, absolutely. I love the East End Devils, and that's where um, I thank the Devils are who I thank for where I am today with my footy and not being able to play with, with them that year. And, Having that um, in the back of your mind, not knowing if they will have a VFL um, team for the next year, and then finding out closer to the end of the season that it was a definite no and that was going to be the um, conclusion of VFL dubbing for the Eastern Devils. Yeah, it was definitely upsetting, but the positive was I was able to um, be the runner for the team, um, so I got to be around the girls and be a part of that celebration of what um, a solid VFL season the Devils had for the past few years. Um, but yeah, I was always upset and I was always holding a little bit of sadness in my heart, but I guess you had to just put that aside and celebrate the club rather than being upset for myself. Now, with the Eastern Devils gone, like uh, yourself, and it would happen to Mick Hutchins, Lou Watton, and a number of other players, you would end up having to try and find a new side to play with in the VFLW in 2018. You said you spoke to a number of clubs. So I guess, and a two-part question, first of all, um, how many clubs did you end up chatting with? And then for you, what stood out about Essendon that made you want to pull on the red and the black? Um, I think there was about seven to four clubs that I spoke to, and I... Um, was pretty much a done deal with one of the clubs, but then I had a really solid chat with Major one afternoon, and I think it was just the um, knowing that he was going to look after me with my knee, but also knowing that Essendon had the facilities and the resources I need. I needed to get back um, and have a solid start to the season for my comeback season. So um, I think what got me over the line was just knowing how um, Major coached and what he brought, but also knowing how much Essendon could give to me and the trust that they're going to look after um, myself and my body. So, yeah, that's what I think got um, me over the line to play for Essendon last year. And, of course, I think it was around uh, late March, early April that um, you made your comeback in a practice game. I think you only played about a quarter. Uh, it was yourself and Kendra Heil, uh, the knee twins, both coming back from ACLs <laughs> in that game. Yeah, definitely. That's a game I'll never, ever forget. Um, I think I played the third, third quarter and Kendra played the fourth quarter. Um, but we, that didn't even matter to us. I think we only played five minutes. I think it was just the fact that we were able to run out together and um, kind of reach that milestone together and have that celebration together. And we couldn't thank the Essendon crew and the girls enough. It was such an um, emotional day, even though it was only a quarter each. But, um, yeah, just crossing that line and finally being able to run around and um, play, some, um, play some footy, even though I felt like I had this took. Um, it was just brilliant. And the smiles... Kendra and I couldn't wipe them off our face from that day onwards. 
If we talk about famous ACLs in the AFLW, we've had Bree Davy come back from an ACL. Just recently, Mel Hickey came back from an ACL. And it's anticipated this week or next week, Isabel Huntington may be back from the ACL. For yourself personally, how long into the season did you finally feel comfortable on your knee and feel that you were getting back to your old self? Look, I still have the demons um, at North. Um, I'm very blessed to have the resources again. I have them at SMM as well. But um, being able to have a psychologist at our actual um, club is great because you get to sit down and really just nut out what's going on in my mind. But um, with Essendon, I, um, it took me a couple of rounds. I think it was about four to five rounds where I was actually strapping my knee um, just because I was still, I hadn't um, overcome that fear of doing it again. Um, but I was just, Learning how to trust your body again and understanding that how much work you put in and all the prevention and rehab that you put in, it was actually for a reason. Um, And looking back at it now, um, everything that I did across the journey of my ACL rehab helped me to get where I am today. And Yeah, I I, I always have the demons at the back of my mind, but um, as I said, it's great that ACL women and also DSL women have so many resources that you can go to to help you push through those demons. And um, the club and all the girls and the coaching staff were just fabulous last year, so they were the reason why I got to play actually every single game for Essendon. Now, before the initial contact and, and then signing with North Melbourne Tasmania in the AFLW, was there a period at all during your comeback with Essendon that there was a fear that, maybe you might be overlooked because you were part of a team where you were struggling. You, you had just the one win for the year and you were struggling for goals. Was there ever any self-doubt of, okay, I'm at a bottom team, maybe I might get overlooked? Um, at the start of the year, I was really thinking about the um, AFL season this year um, and I was really always in the back of my mind. But as the season went on, I um, spoke to my partner and we just talked about how I really need to put it past me and we actually came to a conclusion that maybe this is it, this is my time and I missed the timing of the draft but I get this um opportunity to play for SMB Cell and um follow that expansion with the BFLW because it was huge last and it's only gonna get better. So at the end of the year I actually had not thought about it for the whole season. Um I had a few girls around me who were thinking about it and that made me ponder a little bit, but um, it was really just focusing on Essendon, and even though we weren't winning every week, I was really just focusing on um, getting my form back and making sure that I um, could get to a stage in my footy um, that I was happy with, because I felt like I was at a very good um, stage when I actually did my knee, so yeah, more, it was more just a growth for me and getting back to where I was, um, but yeah, honestly, I actually put the draft behind me by the end of the season. Can you explain when and how the initial contact came about with North Melbourne? Um, so it was towards the end of the Essendon season, so we played our last game on the Sunday. But, um, on that, or maybe it was the Saturday, but on the next Tuesday, um, I received an unfortunate phone call from Reese and um, he just asked for me to come into the club. And um, I didn't get my hopes up because I've been in that situation before, so I literally took it as just a, an exciting moment. I went in for a little chat. Um, and it was a positive chat. I felt really um, welcomed and um, they were really, really nice, Reese and the team at North. And, um, yeah, that following day, um, he actually offered me the AFLW um, contract. So it was, pretty, it was a bit of a whirlwind and it happened all of a sudden. It was very, um, very, very exciting. And I was, it took me a few days to actually um, comprehend like, what actually happened and what was actually going to happen. So, 
Yeah, in the space of a, about four days, I had an AFLW contract, which I couldn't believe. How's the emotions at that time, considering everything that you've had to go through, particularly with that layoff with the ACL, and as we said, just coming off that tough season with Essendon, what is that initial emotion that hits you once they say on the phone, we would like to offer you a contract? Um, so I was walking out of my work done by Punishful and I think I let off a little scream in front of all the parents and I asked when minimum about 10 times if he was for real and if this was actually happening and, uh, and I was I the actual person that he actually wanted. Um, and yeah, he tells me that my reaction was one of the best that um, he's ever heard. Um, I think it was more just a disbelief and it was finally happening after the years of the heartbreak and the challenges through my knee and seeing all my my mates get drafted around me but also the success they were achieving. Yeah, the emotions were definitely a roller coaster. I think it was a, a bit of um, disbelief and then so much excitement and, oh, my God, can I do this? And then, oh, my God, I need to tell everyone. And, yeah, so it took a couple of hours for, for it to actually sink in. Um, but, yeah, it was a, a roller coaster of emotions. I couldn't just tell you one emotion that I felt. Can you explain what the step-up's been like in training load for you since going from, obviously, being time off with an ACL to stepping up to VFLW training to now going up another level again with AFLW training? Um, it's been pretty amazing. I think um, as a person, I see the uh, challenges and having the individuals around me, especially like Emma Carney and Emma King, um, Caitlin Ashmore, Especially and just stuff, and they're at a they all they all work at an elite level. So it's not whether if you um, want to work at that level, you pretty much have to work at that level. And um, I think as a group, we've really pushed one another. And um, having that leadership around you, it's um it's pretty smooth because they are their constant feedback and support they give to you. You don't really notice the massive step up. It's a it's a smooth transition, and with that constant support and um feedback, you. You really strive off it, and I think as a group, um, having those leaders in our group, it's only been the, it's only been a positive for us. And um, as I said, as an individual, I think I work really well with that. And um, when I see someone working at a rate that I want to work at, um, I push myself and challenge myself to get there. Can you give us an insight into a typical day for Jess Trend, balancing obviously AFLW commitments and your teaching? <laughs> Um, so at the end of last year, I was working full time at Dunbar Primary School, and I would be there from about seven a.m. to about four uh, thirty, and then I would make my way down to Arden Street um, on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and um, yeah, stay there till about nine thirty. But this year, I thought I might give myself a little bit of a break with work, so I'm only working part time, but it's still pretty full on. So um, I'm working Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, and then uh. CIP, um, if I want, on Mondays and Fridays, but being in the um, TAVI side, um, we've only just finished our travelling the, from the last three weeks, so I um, haven't yet really, um, fit in some CIP, but um, I'll get there, and yeah, it's just what it, it is what it is, and you know that other girls are doing the same thing, so you don't really dwell on it, and it's just a part of playing AFLW, I guess. You mentioned about uh, Tassie, of course, it's the North Melbourne Tasmanian Kangaroos with a number of the players based in Tasmania. So can you explain about some of the things, I guess, that's happening behind the scenes to try and bond the team, considering that you're in two separate camps? Uh, North has um, gone above and beyond with this um, connection and having some girls in Tasmania and the other girls in Victoria 
Matt, um, who's in charge pretty much um, of that area, has worked out a system that has benefited both the Tasmanian girls and the Victorian girls. Um, when the Tasmanian girls come over or when we go over to Tasmania, it just feels like not, it feels normal. It feels like uh, we've always trained together. And um, it never feels like, oh, we haven't seen these girls in ages because they've always set up opportunities where the um, Tasmanian girls can come over and train with us or we can go and train with them. Um, we're fortunate enough at the start of the year to go to pre-season during Tasmania. And it was, it was kind of like a community camp. So we um, were able to get to know Tasmania and pretty much um, go around and um, introduce ourselves to the community and um, promote our AFL side. But it was also a great opportunity to um, get to know the Tasmanian girls. And um, yeah, it was brilliant. We all stayed in the same hotel and um, they set up a lot of activities where we got to bond and really connect with one another. And since then, any opportunity that... Um, North can they get the Tassie girls to come over to train with us or vice versa? So, yeah, it's been a great start, and um, I don't think we could ask for anything much better, really, with um, the program. Can you talk about that feeling of stepping out onto North Hobart Oval on that Sunday, not only for yourself, the first ever AFLW match for Jess Trend, but also the first ever AFLW match in the history of the North Melbourne Tasmanian Kangaroos? Oh, the nerves are rushing, especially because. Uh, Scotty and the team put together this phenomenal uh, video that we had to sit down and watch right before we ran out. And it was uh, pretty much the journey that we've covered so far from pre-season up until round one. But it was also the North AFL boys as well having a little talk to us as well through the video. And it was just unbelievable. I think some girls had a few tears in their eyes and that was obviously just motivational tears and excitement that... For myself, my heart was thumping probably ever since we touched down in Tassie till the last um, final from round one and just knowing that my family and everyone else's family was going to be there, but also wearing those jumpers with the Tasmanian uh, symbol on it and just feeling so much pride for the jumper and what we've achieved so far and um, also just wanting to make everyone proud. I think that was a lot of nerves as well and knowing um, how much the cameras and the... Um, the target was kind of on our backs because of the team list that we uh, have and ever since then you've just kind of had to get used to it but um, yeah there was a lot of emotions felt that day I think it was pride mixed with um, wanting to do really well for the club and for yourself um, and also just excitement for what um, Kano and Matt and the North crew have all achieved so far in this journey um, and yeah just making sure that you made them proud. Did the game against Melbourne at Casey Fields on the weekend just gone feel almost like game one all over again? I know it wasn't a Kangaroos home game, but it was your first match in Melbourne. Yeah, definitely. Um, having all of your family actually come because it's so hard and it's a lot of pressure on your family asking them to um, buy the tickets and then pay for the hotels to come to Tassie. So having this opportunity in Victoria, it was pretty much it felt like a home game to us, but um, obviously it wasn't. But um, And even having the banner, North set it up perfectly. Um, they set it up as if it was like our home game. And um, yeah, as I said, just then um, having all your family be able to come and all your all of your friends, it was, a, it was another mixed um, emotion. But I think what North has really done well is um, taught us how to control our emotions and what we need to do during the week to um, keep settled and keep calm and make sure that we save enough energy so we run out with everything that we've got on um, game day. But, um, yeah, I can definitely say that the heart was thumping again. But I think it was more excitement rather than nerves on the weekend. 
Now, you're not the only player to go across from Essendon to North Melbourne on the women's side of the game. Lauren Moorcroft has gone across, albeit in a coaching role. Now, we know as a player, Lauren Moorcroft has always been the reliable back pocket player that will jump in there with the last-minute punch to spoil. But can you give us an insight into Lauren Moorcroft, the coach? Uh, she's doing it. I, I had a bit of an insight at Essendon because she's um, was in the leadership group, and I think it comes very naturally for LJ to um, have a coaching side to her. But obviously, had playing this role this year for North and being the midfield assistant coach, I think she's doing a fab job. And everything that she brings to the team is why we've been successful for the last four rounds. Um, she definitely has her humour side when we when when it's allowed, I guess. Um, but on the field and game day, she brings such a great, um, settled, and calm. Um, personality, which helps myself, and I think it helps a lot of the girls as well. But her creativity as well, so having that background in the AFOW, I think helps as well because um, obviously, Dennis and Scotty, um, being males, have not been able to have the chance to play AFL women. So um, I think it's brilliant that LJ is a part of the coaching because she can actually bring that um, experience along with her as well. Not only her midfield knowledge, but also knowing what it's like being an AFL player. Um, AFL was player and knowing um, the differences between AFL men and AFL women. So not only does she bring that wealth of midfield knowledge, but she can also bring that experience um, being an ex-AFL women's player, which I think is really, really um, handy as well. And I think it's helped us with the last uh, four rounds, if um, I'm going to be honest. Now, North Melbourne had a lot of players come in from other AFLW clubs, and those players, uh, particularly I think Mo Hope was the last on the record, uh, really praising the culture of North Melbourne. Now, I'm not saying that any of the other clubs are doing whatever they're doing, they're doing it wrong, but what, from speaking to the other players, uh, what do they say stands out about North Melbourne and why they wanted to come and, importantly, stay with the Kangaroos? Um, I think it's all back to Kano. Um, she's developed this family culture at North where it's definitely I know it's a cliche that every club always says um, one club but it's 100% one club at North Melbourne we constantly have the AFL boys come down to training, come down to game games even just walking around the club you feel 100% welcomed you never feel not welcomed and you feel like you are a part of that club Um, just the littlest things like making sure that there's um, signs around the club that relate to the women's AFL and the Shinboner um, signs to make it that it is one club that's there, um, a Shinboner for the AFL women and the Shinboner for the AFL men. Um, so it's just like the tiny little things that I guess create that big family vibe and um, North Melbourne definitely create that big family vibe and I think that's one thing that all the girls have reflected on that we honestly do feel like one club and we do feel valued and I think that's um, very, very important when it comes to an AFL women's club. Looking to on the field, uh, four and zip so far, flying along, but you had that close one against the D's at uh, Casey Fields. Do you think it was an important wake-up call, particularly when it came to the timing, knowing that you've got, obviously, Adelaide coming up this week, who will be a tough challenge, and you've still got to face Fremantle down the road? Yeah, absolutely. I was reflecting on it yesterday. I think I watched the game about three times yesterday, um, I think it was definitely a great wake-up call, even though everyone in the um, who played on Sunday and who coached us or the whole our whole family would have loved if we could have played our game, um, our personally our game style. But um, I think it was a good little wake-up call and a little bit of motivation, just a little to step back and to reassess and 
remember where we're at and what we want to achieve, but also to remember that, yeah, as you said, we've got a big, um, a tough little couple of weeks ahead of us. And um, I think it was perfect timing, especially with Adelaide coming up on the weekend. They're a very, very strong side. And um, I think they are, um, if not just as good as us, and um, they're going to be a very challenging side. And um, whoever wins on the weekend, I think it's well-deserved because I think we um, match each other really well. And what I've seen so far from Adelaide is uh, physically and very fit and um, just won't give up. So I think on the weekend was good for us because obviously our game wasn't coming together um, as it was in the first three rounds. And I think we had to lean more on effort and mental um, strength. And um, yeah, as you said, I think it's a really good test for us because we really had to lean on each other. And um, it was just a great test, to be honest, um, to get us over the line. As a midfielder defender, what's your thoughts that possibly at some stage in rotation you could be lining up against household names and possible MVPs in the likes of Erin Phillips and Ebony Marinoff? Oh, the only thing I worry about is um, the camera comparing our muscles with Erin Phillips and myself. <laughs> um, but really, running out on every single name, um, whoever I line up and whoever I line up, we obviously go through the team as a group and um, go through what we need to focus on as a group. Um, and if I line up on Aaron Phillips, and so be it. But, um, yeah, I really don't, don't focus on the name. I really just focus on my role and what Scotty's asked for me and making sure that I'm um, putting down what I can and putting down everything that I've got inside of me for the team and making sure that um, yeah, I stick to structures and our game plan rather than focusing on who I'm versing. Second last question. We know you love to sing a bit. We see it uh, every now and again on either Facebook or on uh, Instagram. Just to give a bit of insight to the musical taste of Jess Trend, uh, what's some of the songs you're listening to at the moment on Spotify? Uh, well, actually, right now before games, I'm a bit on the meditation, so not onto the singing. But um, if I had to choose a song from Spotify, I think I'm still um, into the um, soundtrack from A Star Is Born. I love a bit of Shallow. Um, so, yeah, I'm into just the music that I'm hearing on the radio. But right now, Spotify definitely be a Star is Born soundtrack. And one last question. What's the immediate thought that comes to mind when people say the line, Jessica Trend, AFLW footballer? I think, wow, I finally got there. Um, I think uh, last year I really sat back and, kind of accepted that my time was over and um, it wasn't actually going to happen. So um, if I was going to be honest, at the start of pre-season, it was, well, I can't believe I've um, got here and I can't believe this is actually happening. But now when they say it, I just think, holy, well, well, I'm actually here and I'm doing everything that I can um, to keep a spot on the side, which I'm through about. And that's my goal each week. Um, just do everything you can. Um, make sure you're growing every week and make sure you're improving every week. And, yeah, just listen to the coach and make sure you're um, setting up to the correct structures and playing your role. And, yeah, that's all I ask for myself is just to improve each round. So, yeah, it's pretty exciting. Well, Jess, congratulations on a successful comeback from that ACL injury. Congratulations on achieving your dream of playing in the AFL women's competition. And thank you very much for joining us here on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. Thank you so much for having me.
GWS Giants broke through for their first win of season 2019 on the weekend. We thought it was apt to get one of their players back on the line. Joining us this time is a woman who has represented New South Wales ACT, won numerous premierships with the UNSW Eastern Suburbs Stingrays, now known as the Bulldogs, and the Sydney Women's Premier Division. She won a flag last year with Hawthorne in the VFLW, and this year, in her third season at the GWS Giants, she's in all-Australian form, racking up an average of 19 disposals per match. It's great to have on the line Rebecca Beeson. Beck, how are you? Good, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Great to have you on the line. And first of all, how does it feel to finally have the four premiership points in the bank after that win over Collingwood at Morwell? Yeah, it's um, it's definitely a bit of a, re- a relief. Um, I feel like a win's kind of been brewing for for a while now. So um, it's good to get the first win on the board and hopefully a few more after that now. Let's take a step back through your footy career. Where did you first end up picking up Aussie rules? Um, so I grew up on the central coast of New South Wales, so um, not a lot in terms of Aussie rules um, there. But um, my family moved to Perth when I was 12 and uh, that's kind of where I picked it up. So I just started playing youth girls in Perth and then, um, yeah, moved back over uh, to Sydney a few years later and um, played senior footy from there on. So giving credit to your original club, what was the first club you played for in Perth? Swan Districts Football Club. A very, very famous football club in terms yes, of women's yes. football. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's a good little club um, out there in uh, the eastern suburbs of, um, of Perth. And, yeah, it's where it all started for me. So, as you said, you came back to New South Wales. How did you find yourself uh, at a team that was called the Stingrays, now, of course, known as the UNSW Eastern Suburbs Bulldogs? Yeah, so I um, I started uni, uh, studying at, at the University of New South Wales, and um, they had a women's football team. So it was um, I was playing for someone else at the time, and it was just pretty natural for me to um, to play for the play for the club that um, you know where I was where I was studying. So that's um, that's how it all came to be. And a club that would end up going on to win a couple of flags as well um, yeah. in, in a great purple, purple patch of form. How did you find the um, coaching under Tracy Kick, who, of course, Tracy would end up last year being an assistant coach at GWS? Yeah, so Tracy uh, was my coach for for a few years and um, learned a lot from her. And, um, yeah, she led she's led the club to three consecutive premierships. So um, definitely a bit of a legend in Sydney women's AFL circles. And, um, yeah, I enjoyed my time at the UNSW Bulldogs. You played youth girls football representing your state, uh, New South Wales ACT, a number of years ago. I just want to read some names out to you. This is a game from 2014. It's in Division 2, New South Wales ACT versus the Thunder Devils. In that game, yeah. you, you kick four goals. A future GWS teammate, Jody Hicks, Erin McKinnon, Nicola Barr, yep. just to name yep. names. And your opponents that day include this week's Rising Star nominee, Danielle Ponter, who's at the Crows, Madison Smith, yep. who's at North Melbourne, and Elise Gamble, who is at the Bulldogs. Yeah, um, I definitely remember that game. That was a bit of a highlight um, for me for the tournament. Um, but so yeah, we've um, there's a few of us now who are at the Giants, and it's good because you know we know each other's others' games pretty well now. So it's been um, it's been quite a number of years that we've been playing football together. So um, yeah, I mean we're all pretty pretty close, and I think it just shows the strength of of the youth girls programs now. And um, I think the future of the competition's in pretty good stead. 
Does it spin your head that there you are? As you said, you remember that game. I'm guessing at that point in your career, you're thinking that's a highlight, maybe as far as you can go, <laughs> because no one knew exactly, yeah, when, yeah, AFLW exactly. Would, when AFLW would start. So yeah. does it blow your mind? Of That's now just, I guess, almost a minor memory because there's greater memories now being performed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, a few years ago, um, the AFLW was um, just kind of a, a concept for the future, and um, you know, we kind of just played for played for fun type of thing. We didn't really think, um, you know, too much of it. And I just thought, you know, I'd kind of do the normal thing and finish school and go to uni and play uh, a bit of local footy on the side, and and that would be it. So um, yeah, it's definitely fantastic that uh, we have these opportunities now, and you know, the girls playing. Um, in the youth girls carnivals can um, work towards playing the AFLW in the future. So you got picked up for season number one of the uh, AFLW. Uh, it was a tough yep. year the first year round. Things improved in the second year. Can you give a, a bit of a, an insight to what changed, behind, obviously besides the coach, but what changed behind the <laughs> scenes to give that confidence for the side to almost make it to a grand final appearance in season two? Um, besides, yeah, you say besides the coach, the coach is... Um, is a pretty pretty major influence on um, our team and our team how it is now and um, you know Alan Alan's fantastic and in my opinion uh, the best coach in the competition but um, apart from that I think in general the professionalism of the club and indeed all the clubs in the AFLW has improved um, since the first year and um, you know we've we've drafted some some fantastic recruits over the past couple of years to strengthen our our squad. So um, I think a combination of a few things and um, yeah, it's it's kind of things have picked up a bit from from season one, which is pretty hard for us. And uh, last year was um, which was much of an improvement, and um, we're disappointed to to not make the finals. And this year got off off to a bit of a rocky start, but uh, win on the weekend and hopefully a few more wins on the trot, and we can push towards finals. You've been pushing the hashtag misfits. It seems like that, doesn't yeah. it? It's the spare part players from Victoria, South Australia and Ireland all combining together with the New South Wales ACT talent. Yeah, it's a bit of a, a motley crew of um, people from all over the place, which is um, the misfit, which is why we kind of brand ourselves as the mis misfits. Um, people from all over, the, all, all over the country and all over the world. And, um, you know, some girls who... Uh, were probably told that they weren't good enough in their in their home state to make um, the teams there, so they've come over here and um, given it their best shot and 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 have succeeded. So that's kind of where the the misfits kind of brand comes from. And um, you know we're a bunch of random girls who have all gelled together really well, and um, you know that's kind of what we pride ourselves on. Now, before we talk about the current uh, AFLW season, during the winter, you actually came down to Victoria. Um, how did that uh, idea of the move coming down to play for Hawthorne first start? Um, I just wanted a bit of a change. It wasn't um, purely a football decision. It was um, a bit of a life decision. I, um, I'd been... Uh, living at the University of New South Wales where I was studying and I played football for UNSW and I, I worked on campus. So um, I just felt like uh, I needed a bit of a, a change in my life, I guess. Um, so it was very much from an experience type of uh, point of view. And um, whilst I'm kind of young enough to um, to go and do things and not be tied down by anything too much, I thought I uh, might as well kind of shift my life and, and try something different and, um, you know, had to, uh, joined a new football club in Hawthorne who were fantastic and got a new job. Um, I studied at Melbourne Uni for a bit while I was down there. So, um, yeah, just, just kind of, you know, building on life experience, I guess, yeah. 
And how did you find the experience behind the scenes at Hawthorne? Because in theory, they're only a VFLW team, but of course they've got that huge AFL organisation behind them. And if you yeah. if you read into Jeff Kennett, he'd actually would like a women's licence sooner rather than later. Yeah, um, Hawthorne are a very professional club and um, they run their VFL team like um, an AFL team would run their AFLW team. So, um, yeah, very professional club and the experience was fantastic. And, um, you know, obviously we won the, won the flag. So um, they're doing some good things down there at Hawks. Do you think that season of playing the high standard VFLW football has helped aid you to your performance in season three of AFLW? <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I, I think it was really good for me both personally and professionally, uh, professionally and football-wise going down to, to Melbourne. Um, you know, I played in the VFL team and um, I, th- I think a bit of responsibility was put upon me to um, to help lead the team. Um, so, yeah, I definitely benefited benefited from that. And uh, Paddy Hill, the Hawthorne coach, gave me the opportunity to, uh, to run through the midfield, which was fantastic. And um, I just certainly gained a lot of confidence from my time down at the Hawks. Now, you must have been thinking it was just business as usual when you won the premiership because you had been winning premierships for the Stingrays and here you are, you jumped into the Hawks and first go you win the VFLW flag. But can you also give us an insight into the change rooms and the emotion of players like Phoebe McWilliams, Meg Hutchins, Lou Watton, legends of the women's game in Victoria who'd played more than a decade or so without a flag finally breaking through? Yeah, I mean, I've I've certainly been very lucky um, that I've won a, a few in my short career so far. But um, yeah, the Hawthorne the Hawthorne flag was very special to to a lot of the girls, like uh, you know the Phoebe's and the Meg Hutchins, who who've played in that competition for a long time and um, have never won a flag before. And um, I didn't quite uh, realise the significance of it until they shared their stories about it. And then um, you know the in the days leading up to the grand final, they um, they were so pumped and so excited and. Um, they kind of, you know, told me it was this. It was a, it was a big, really big deal for them. And um, when we won, to see the emotion on their faces and um, Meg Hutchins was in tears. And um, yeah, it was a very special moment, and um, it was a, a big thing that we achieved. Patrick Hill, the coach of the Hawthorne VFLW side, taking them to a premiership after being with the Box Hill Hawks on the men's side and Frankston VFL. He's on the shortlist of three coaches to possibly coach the Gold Coast Suns in the AFLW competition. For yourself personally, what did you like about uh, Paddy Hill's coaching and what do you think is the qualities that will make him a good AFLW coach should he be given the chance? Yeah, Paddy is so invested in, in women's football. Um, that's the first thing I, I noticed straight away that he he puts his heart and soul into um, his coaching, and he takes real pride in, in coaching female footballers. Um, and he um, takes his time to to get to know all the girls, and he um, he's so emotionally invested in each and every one of us that um, you know we all really want to play for him. So um, you know, wherever he takes his coaching, I'm sure he'll do well. When you came back to New South Wales to get ready for AFLW Season 3, did Alan McConnell notice any difference in you uh, considering the, the great season you had in the VFLW and did that give food for thought or did maybe you get in his ear saying, Man, you know, I'd like a bit of a run in the midfield, please? Um, I don't know. You'd have to ask Alan that. For me, it was kind of just business as usual. Um, try as hard as I can and, and get as fit as I can, as strong as I can in pre-season. And, um, you know, I... I kind of I don't um I don't really want to go about telling coaches where I where I think I should be playing at so that's up to the coaches to decide and it's not really my role so um I think if you try your hardest and you, and you work hard um and you and you play good footy kind of the rest kind of takes care of itself
We always like to ask footballers that have been round through the three AFLW seasons of where do they think they're improving. So for yourself personally, if we either look at a two-kilometre time trial or or look at what weights you're lifting, for example, can you give us an insight into uh, your own uh, physical um, improvement over the three AFLW seasons and that increased training? (laughs) Yeah, I've um, I've definitely put on a bit of uh, muscle mass since my first uh, preseason of AFLW, so it's been a bit of a focus for me. Um, not not the uh, the biggest or the tallest girl um, in the team by any stretch of the means. So for me, it's about um, continuing to to get a bit more bulkier and put on a bit more muscle mass and get stronger. Um, obviously fitness is is massive as well um so constantly trying to improve on the 2k time trial which is a bit of a benchmark for for most afl football clubs i'm assuming um and and especially here at the giants so for me it's about yeah getting fitter so being able to increase my running capacity and uh, getting stronger so after three rounds you were sitting winless but you weren't playing bad football. It was just a case of just the opportunities weren't falling your way and the other teams were just hitting a good purple patch. What was Alan's message coming into this crucial fourth game that you were taking on Collingwood at Morwell? Because they were desperate as you. They also had no wins and were looking for their first four premiership points. Yeah, um, like you said, we, uh, we weren't necessarily playing horrible football. Um, it just kind of wasn't um, gelling together for us and we just weren't getting the result. Um, but, you know, what Alan told us was that our form stacks up um, and we're a good side. We're definitely not a bad side. So um, he just assured us that, you know, we just have to keep doing what we're doing and obviously you have to fix a few things along the way. But um, as a team, our form stacked up against the rest of the competition and, you know, when we play well, we can, um, we can be competitive with anyone. Now, I'd be remiss of asking the question because we do actually have quite a number of listeners listening in Ireland through the AFL Ireland Women's Competition. Um, how's it uh, been doubling down on the Irish? You had Cora getting used to the game last year, and of course, she's joined this year by Yvonne Bonner. Yes, so uh, we have a bit of an Irish contingent here at the Giants, um, both in the female and men's uh, squads. Um, it's been lovely having Cora come back and. and Yvonne Bonner joining her. Um, they both bring a wealth of experience and um, and athleticism um, to the team, even though they're, they have, they're relatively new to their game of AFLW, or AFL. Um, they have, you know, these incredible athletic capabilities that I've never really seen before. So, um, you know, Cora and, and, and bon, bon, Yvonne's um, running capacity is fantastic and um, their speed and agility around the contest I believe is second to none so yeah it's been really good having them around and um, learning as much as we can off them. You'll need plenty of that speed and agility this Sunday a big game against Melbourne 2.05pm at Blacktown the scene of the crime from two years ago in that famous game when the Giants knocked off the D's and cost them a spot in the grand final so a bit of a rivalry between the two sides and for yourselves an important game to win to put yourself in the Conference B calculations for a semi-finals berth. Yeah, I mean, we just need to be winning games at this stage of the season, especially with the three losses at the start. So, um, yeah, it doesn't kind of doesn't really matter who the opponent is. We just need to get wins on the board and, um, you know, looking forward to getting out there and, and giving it a crack. I'm sure it'll be a good game. And one last question before we let you go. We asked the same question to Jessica Trent and we'll ask it to you. What does it mean when people say, Rebecca Beeson, AFLW footballer. 
it's very special. Um, like I like we've kind of spoken about before um, a few years ago. This this was just a, a dream. It was never it wasn't even a thought. So um, to hear that and to, to have little girls, you know, come up and and ask for you know a signature on their jersey and they you know they tell you that they've they've just signed up for the local um, youth girls or Aussie competition. Um, it's fantastic. So um, it's it's a very special very special thing and um, you know we're all very grateful for for what it means and um, hopefully you can continue and all those little girls running around in Auskick um, in 10, 10, 15 years' time can uh, continue to build up on the AFLW and become a great competition. Well, Beck, thank you very much for joining us here on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. Congratulations on the win over Collingwood and all the very best as you take on the Ds this Sunday at Blacktown. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Now it's time for everyone's favourite segment, Coach Kiwi's Kiss of Death. This is where we chat with Sydney women's football legend Lisa Kiwi Roper. She is the current assistant coach at the Darabin Falcons and now helping out at the Eastern Rangers in their under-18s program. It's great to have Coach Kiwi back on the line. Kiwi, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you doing? Maybe better than you when it comes to the tips because I hear you've been getting some interesting feedback from opposition supporters. Yes, perhaps um, sitting amongst a whole heap of Bulldogs fans on Saturday night wasn't the safest thing to do. And, uh, yes, they gave me plenty of feedback on my um, kiss of death tips. Well, let's explain. You got three out of five this week, and it didn't start all particularly well because you tipped Carlton to beat Geelong, and it was the Cats that came away with the premiership points. Yeah, close game, that one. Um, I think that's just the way the Cats are playing. They just um, muscle in for these very, very close wins. Um, I thought it would be close. I didn't really factor in all that inaccuracy in kicking for goal Um, because I think both teams had the same number of shots in the end. Um, But, you know, credit to Geelong. They muscled their way through and Egg Mac, she um, did a good job. Her modern career may be on hold for a little while, but um, I'm sure she'll be back next week just as fight and fury. Well, no one could accuse her of being an egghead. Well, maybe they could because it was a big egg that she was sporting on her head, courtesy of uh, getting... I think she said it was a Darcy Vessio uh, Taylor Harris sandwich that she was in the middle of, and then uh, she came off looking second best, to say the least. Uh, Let's have a look at the game between the Dogs and the Lions, and wow, did the Lions do a number here at Witten Oval? Yeah, they played some really, really good football. Um, their speedsters and their board line, you know, Wushner and McCartney, they're just they're just too quick. And um, I think I think having the beauty of um, Sabs up there, she takes probably one of the strongest defenders, and the others just get left to roam a little bit more. And um, yeah, Lions Lions played some really, really good quality football. Up in Darwin, it was the Crows over the Dockers by 42 points. That means Frio's first loss of the year. Yes, no, I tipped the Crows for this one, but I think I didn't. I don't think I thought it would be as big a margin. Yeah, I think, um, I, think Frio, you, I think you tipped it to be something like you said, Frio kicking nine goals, the Crows kicking 10 goals. Well, you got one bit right. There was nine goals kicked by uh, Adelaide. It's just Fremantle didn't bring their kicking shoes to the game. 
Yeah, they might have. Um, they might be saving them now. You know, it's getting <laughs> games are getting tight in the A conference, so um, yeah, they might they might they might be saving some of those goals. But how how awesome were the Crows? You know, Aaron Phillips and Ebony Marinoff. I think together must have had over somewhere between fifty and sixty disposals. It's just um, outstanding, and you know they're playing good football too. I don't think Freo played badly. I think. Um, I think they just copped a, a really good day for the Crows. On Sunday, your GWS Giants, we emphasise your, not our, GWS <laughs> Giants, defeated uh, Collingwood by nine points. Yes, now I didn't actually get to make this game, even though it was in Victoria. Um, but by all sounds, it was the weather that probably stopped a lot more goals going in. Because um, these two teams, I think they now have the record for letting in the most goals. Um, so only one point was actually scored against the wind. It um, was quite ferocious down there. But um, you're happy for the Giants to get in. I'm happy to see another former teammate, Ingrid Nielsen, make a debut in the ruck. She was Erin um, was a late withdrawal, so Ingrid got a got a shot, and um, she doesn't win as many hitouts as Erin does in the AFLW comp, but she's versatile in other areas. So she had a lot more disposals and was a lot more effective around the field. So hopefully Ellen may take that on board and who knows, she might be the lucky charm and Giants can uh, get more wins if she stays in the lineup. Yes, getting the full a little prem- bit of bias. <laughs> yes, getting the full premiership points in the Gatorade shower at the end of the game. And finally, uh, it was the Kangaroos 6-2-38 defeating Melbourne 5-4-34. You just got a feeling in that one that the Kangaroos got out by the skin of their teeth. Yeah, I think Demons played really good football and, and took it to them. And um, again, was it the same scoring shots, I think. So... Um, it was there for D's. It was the game was there for D's to take, and certainly I think they'll take a lot out of it going forward into the other really um, tough matches. So, yeah, don't write the D's off yet, and um, I'm sure hopefully their fans will hope they'll get through that um, one step up from where they finished the last two years. Again, your tips were Carlton, the Dogs, Crows, GWS and the Roos. You picking up three in that one. So let's have a look ahead to round five. And it all uh, happens this Saturday, the 2nd of March at 4.45pm, Moreton Bay Central Sports Complex. The Brisbane Lions versus the Geelong Cats in Conference B. This could almost set up and lock in a semi-final spot for the winner. Uh, yeah, I think most definitely it will. And um, I just think after how the Lions are playing, you know, the Cats are very gritty in their results that they've um, managed to get the wins. I just think the Lions are just playing too good. They're covering a lot of ground, very fast, um, high-quality football. Uh, and they're at home. So I'm going to go the Lions. And may I throw a couple of points in that one, saying that with Geelong, they'll be out with O'Connor and uh, Boyd, both missing through suspension. And uh, isn't it great to see with the Lions that they've brought in some youngsters and instead of, which usually happens, sides usually go backwards with youngsters while the youngsters develop, the opposite happened for the Lions. They got better. So great positive signs there. Well, I think um, Craig started trying to use something like 26 players last year too. So um, so that's a little bit of a change for him when he's starting to bring in extra numbers too to bolster the team and uh, give a bit of experience as well. 
he's um he pretty he pretty much sticks to the same team week in week out. Now talk about a game with a fair bit on the line. Seven fifteen p.m. this Saturday night at Princess Park, Carlton. Carlton versus Collingwood. Yeah, what can we say? It's it's um it's a nice oval. It's lush green grass. <laughs> it should draw a good crowd. Uh, I mean, these two clubs they've got history going way back for donkey's years with, between the men, and I think they've tried to start some of that history and rivalry between um, the two women's teams. But I'm gonna say that I think Carlton will probably have that measure over Collingwood. Um, I think they did too much firepower in their um, forward line. And the last time they played at Icon, they played some good football, even without the win. So, um, yeah, I just I don't think Collingwood will have enough to um, beat Carlton in this one. If you look at it this way, if the Pies win, it'd be the first win of the year and they could possibly stop the Blues from getting to the finals. So there's nothing like uh, stopping an arch rival from going on to greater things. On the other side of the coin, if Carlton win, it could be one step going towards the semifinals while possibly dooming the Pies to the wooden spoon. So uh, there's going to be a fair bit in this one. Let's have a look at Sunday's games on the 3rd of March, 2.05pm, Blacktown International Sports Park, uh, GWS Giants versus Melbourne. This ground has got a bit of history, as we know from two years ago in that famous game where it bucketed down rain and GWS spoiled Melbourne's party. Yeah, and um, it's mostly the same Melbourne team. I remember they had the, a young Smitty and a young Lily Mithin in there, and I think they're just a lot more wiser and stronger. Um, I love the Giants through and through, and as much as I want them to win... I'm kissing to death the Melbourne Demons this weekend. <laughs> I think, I think they're scoring way too many goals each week to um, for the Giants to stop because Giants seem to have a bit of a leaky backline. So um, they may not like me saying that, but yeah, Giants are just letting in too many. D's are scoring a lot every week, and I think that's what's going to happen this week. I'm afraid. Sunday, 4:05 p.m. at Avalon Airport Oval in Werribee. This is the game of the round. The North Melbourne Tasmanian Kangaroos playing host to the Adelaide Crows. Yeah, I think this could potentially be um, a preview to the grand final, actually. I think these are the two teams that are playing probably the strongest football right now and star power all over the park. Um, It's a tough one. I'd like to tip North as my kiss of death. Um, but I think Crows are going to travel travel to Melbourne and um, beat them. I reckon Crows may have the answers to um, stop the North. And the final game of the round, Sunday, 6.05pm Eastern Daylight Savings Time. It's Fremantle versus the Western Bulldogs, a uh, Division A match, or Conference A, I should say. This is an interesting one. Obviously, Frio to keep in the race with North and the Crows. The Western Bulldogs, really, for the reigning premiers, this is the last chance saloon. Must win or it's uh, premiership defence over. Yeah, and both of these teams are coming off losses last week, which I'm pretty sure they won't be too happy about. Um, 
in the way that they played or the way that they lost those games. So I think this week you'll see both teams come out extremely hard to get these premiership points. Um, there's been quite a bit said in the West Australian media about how um, the conference system may prevent Frio getting into the finals because they believe, obviously, that they're one of the best teams and should make the finals um, or make, make the grand final, which, um, you know, the conference is set up that top two teams will still make the grand final anyway. So Frio have to just keep winning, winning their way. Um, but, yeah, I think this is going to be an extremely tight battle. And if we don't have a draw this weekend, um, I think Frio may just edge home just by a few points. And it's safe to say that the conference system is as popular as AFLX. Kiwi, thank you very much for joining us here on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. We look forward to seeing how your tips go. So far, you've got a total of 12 out of 20. Best of luck with your kiss of death this week. I think that, am I equal now with the A conference win? I think I'm pretty close. And that concludes Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival for yet another week. Don't forget this program is available as a podcast every Thursday morning by going to SoundCloud or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts and searching for Women's Australian Rules Football Radio. I'm Peter Holden. Until next week, it's bye for now.